And finally, the plane came to a stop. There was no flame. I was upright and I was really fortunate. I popped the canopy open, got off the plane. And then there was all these holes in the desert and these little marks in the desert. And I said, I know what those are. That's rattlesnakes. Oh, <laughs> It was a movie moment. I took my helmet off and my parachute and plane had smoke and jet fuel all over the place. And, and I walked towards that dirt path. And it was a very sombering feeling, but I was walking and I was fine. The plane was totaled. I destroyed the airplane. But it was a very classic case of mitigating the risk. And I had a successful outcome, ultimately. <laughs> This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. All right, Rebel HR listeners, extremely excited for this week's guest, Pete Zaccanino. He is an Aviation Hall of Famer, a four-times air racing gold champion. He likes to live on the edge and is a living example of what it takes to be a true uh, leader. With 23,000 hours and more than 270 aircraft types, flight tested over 685 and even built three of his own uh, aircraft, uh, he has some interesting stories to tell. We're going to be talking about leadership today. Some of his other uh, uh, credits, he is a film producer of multiple Discovery Channel productions and started a lead role in the Dangerous Flight series. He has a book out, uh, Relevant. It is a behind-the-curtain thriller inspired by true events that reveal eye-opening top-secret encounters and the greatest lessons in leadership. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here, Kyle. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I, you know, I I mentioned before I hit record as I was preparing for this, you know, I think uh, I think we're going to have a fun show here. And uh, if anybody fits the rebel mold, I think you've probably seen a lot of different aspects of this world. So um, why don't we start out with how did you get into this business? <laughs> um, well, I mean, aviation has always been my background and um or backdrop, you could say. And I've always wanted to be in aviation. I want to design, build, and fly airplanes. And and um, I don't have any single event to point to or person or, you know, I'm the only person in the family that flies an airplane or is an engineer and et cetera. And, um, uh, and here we are. It's, the only difference is I uh, did, I definitely did not pursue a classic career. That's for sure. And, um, and it's been as a result, I think super rewarding. I've been, I've worked with great people and I've had great adventures and, uh, super fulfilling halfway into it and, uh, eager to see what the next half looks like. <laughs> no, it's awesome. And, you know, I'm just, I'm always fascinated, um, you know, where the, you know, the, the bug comes from to, yeah. to do something different or, or think differently or take a path that is, that is less charted to use yeah. a, a flight pun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, leadership. And as we look at, you know, our, our audience and, and some of the things we talk about, a lot of times it's really, 
it's really HR specific. And we talk about things like, you know, employee development and diversity and those sorts of things. But uh, interwoven behind everything we talk about is is leadership. Um, so as you look at, you know, as, what it takes to be a, a true leader, and as you look at the definition of leadership, how do you define it? Well, it, I don't think leadership is that complicated, first of all. Um, I think it's nonstop. It's always evolving. It is a series of questions. I use the question method often, and I'll explain in a minute what I mean by that. But, um, of course, the people that support me need my support. And a good leader ensures that they're getting the support they need from myself. And I think that's paramount. So I have to support those that are supporting me. Then we have to give them the tools. And then we have to give them the ability to make mistakes. And in some industries, the mistakes have to be small because the consequences are so big. You know, aviation and flight tests and air racing and some other of the crazy things I've been involved with. Um, uh, we have significant accountability and significant consequences. But we also have to be tolerant of the mistakes because the learning process from them is significant. And if we work in a mistake-free world, our gr growth is heavily limited. And it's not that we're tolerating a, a lackadaisical approach. It's just that creativity and alternative, alternative solutions often will have some hiccups and some false starts and other challenges. And you just have to get through those and learn from those. And what I tell everyone, everyone that works with me is, it's real simple. I have a way of doing things and it's just, it's worked and I'm not dead, you know, let's be blunt. And, uh, <laughs> um, so if you have a different way to do it, share it with me. And one of two things going to occur, either the person bringing it to me is going to learn from our discussion and encounter, or I'm going to learn and grow from them. And uh, we will we will both advance is the ultimate goal here, and we will. And a good leader does advance with um, his support and his team. And he's not behind them. He's not in front of them. He, he's advancing with them. And I think that's a, a very critical perspective to have um, and, and, and share. And, you know, culturally in an organization – what comes from that is an openness. And when people feel open, that's a big win in any type of organization. It just, it doesn't have to be aviation or other aspects. It's just uh, that openness is very um, tantamount to success. And uh, uh, I think that embodies leadership really. You know, it's fascinating. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't expect you to, comment on openness as a leader as a as necessarily a good trait specifically because of your background and the, sure. the risk yeah. associated with doing something wrong um so so walk me through how you approach managing the risk because you know ultimately as a pilot you're a risk manager right <laughs> like Big time. you've got lives yep. literal lives in yep. your hands every time you take that plane up so so how do you how do you mitigate the risk or manage that risk and allow for the mistakes that that are going to happen? Yeah, so it, it's a big picture um, answer. Let's say we're test flying an airplane, which is a lot of my background was test flying aircraft, 
And um, it's not about the that hero moment where we jump in the plane for the first time, we take it into the air and bring it back to the ground successfully, open the champagne bottle. It just doesn't work like that, right? You know, that's the hero moment. But what goes into that and requires that openness is there's a ton of buildup to successfully testing that plane for the first time. And to successfully test it for the first time, there's a team of people. And someone could be changing a tire, um, changing a switch, um, a light bulb, which could be super critical because the LED light illuminates a failure mode in the aircraft. And if that bulb is out mm. and you don't know that it failed, whatever it, that warning system is attached to, that could be a, a, a huge problem, right? And if someone didn't do a bulb check, a simple bulb check on the cockpit, and all of a sudden everyone's walking out to fire up the plane and go fly and have that hero moment, and they're like, I really need to stop them. He has a critical moment right there that the culture either supports him or dissuades him from doing. He could assume the bulbs all work and the warning panel is going to be fine. Or he could run out there, stop everybody and say, I didn't check the warning system. That's part of my job and I need to do that. And he stops us at that moment. We want him to run out and stop us, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't always happen. So cultivating that openness is critical. And if it's a, a private flight, like we're often doing with our, um, uh, with our business now, and we're taking a customer to Europe, the openness similarly is your co-pilot or co-captain sharing with you, hey, I didn't call Canadian Passport Services and get the COVID test clearance. Oops. But now we can deal with it as opposed to we land in Montreal and they're all looking at us unhappily saying, what are you guys going to do about this, right? <laughs> <laughs> and because people make mistakes, anything that has humans involved, yeah, mistakes happen, period. Yeah. But that openness fosters a safe environment. You know, it's, it's really interesting. And it, you know, it, um, it reminds me of the, you know, kind of the studies on, on incentivization, right? So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different types of incentives and, and, you know, if, if you dress someone down every time they screw something up, you might be incentivizing them not to tell you, right. Actually increasing the risk of something really bad going on. Cause they're not telling you when things are, are mildly wrong. <laughs> right. So yeah, that's, that's fascinating. So, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I'm think is really interesting about your background is, is the test pilot thing. And I got to think the, the, the level of, um, confidence in your abilities when you get into this tested un, or untested plane and you hit start, how do you manage that? Like, what's got to be like a little bit of a gut check moment uh, before you take this thing off the ground? Well, the, that moment is um, the culmination of several events. And one of the things I like about the test flying world is the accountability and you're super accountable because everything is culminating into that one moment that one moment when you're going to take that plane into the air for the first time. And so, yeah, there's a, there's kind of a pause and um, for me at least, and it's pretty Zen like where you're not getting amped up cause that's not good. 
but you're also not um, passively sitting there in the plane. You know, it's a combination of being very alert, very aware, um, but also very, the, fo- the focus brings a calm because the role is not risk elimination. The role is uh, risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. You can't eliminate it. There's, all, there's risk in everything. And so what we can do is mitigate it, be at a better airport, have done the due diligence on the design, have done the proper ground test, and that all mitigates it. So at that moment, you know, it's, it's here comes the accountability to the, to the highest level. And, and you push the throttles forward and off you go. And, and uh, with the plan of returning in a like similar aircraft condition. <laughs> <laughs> Without hitting eject. Yeah. yeah, we don't want to do that. <laughs> because think about that, especially from your perspective. That company, whether it's a small company or it's a huge company, they're putting a ton of that corporate success onto your shoulders for that moment. And it's a really serious deal and um, uh, with massive outcomes. I mean, massive. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's just fascinating to hear that, you know, that um, the the process that you have to go through and then you don't amp up that you kind of go into the, you know, an alert Zen state. Um, You know, I think, and, you know, I admittedly, I've never done that. I don't know that I, I necessarily have a corollary event other than, you know, when you're sending that email to the entire distribution list and the corporation with that, whatever you're sending and you hit send and, you're, and you and you feel that. <laughs> it, it's, <laughs> it's the closest similar. thing I got, man. That's no, all I got. It's a similar moment because you're going to be super accountable moving. <laughs> yeah. Forward, yeah. Right. You just put it all on the line because you hit the world button, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All. All oh. DL. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no taking it back. You're done. <laughs> or my favorite is the the response to the all DL and BCC all, and you know, then it's then we're off to the races. But oh. I'm sure many, I'm sure many people have have, have had that moment. But oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not quite as bad as as an ejector seat in a test airplane. But you know, it it, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, no, it, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah so you know i think it's really it's just really interesting to to talk to somebody from a from a, a fairly you know different industry but but there's so many different you know correlations that uh that you could draw there and i, I love the fact that you brought out the 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 fact that you you know you can't eliminate risk yeah um you know and and it's it's about mitigation so Walk me through maybe some 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 stories or examples where uh, you know you you had <laughs> you would have liked to eliminate risk, but you yeah. ended up just having to mitigate a a circumstance to the best of your ability. Well, the the here's a really good punctuating example. Um, uh, this this was racing in a jet that we had returned to service, and it was a long process. And um, we won with this aircraft, took the gold championship in 2015, very successfully. But the plane did it kicking and screaming. It was a vintage jet. Um, it's such a long involved story, but it's interesting because in the subsequent year, I brought that plane back thinking, you know, we're here to win again. And we're up on a race and I had this the loudest bang I've ever heard in an aircraft in my life, Mm. my career. 
And so bangs aren't good, you know, <laughs> that's in the bad category. Right? I, I understand that. That, that yeah. makes sense to me. See, that makes sense, right? You know, bang is bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I immediately came off the racetrack cause we're down, you know, 50 to a hundred feet off the ground and with a whole bunch of other aircraft. So I came off the racetrack, I was doing about 500 miles an hour and I pulled up and, um, I was trying to evaluate what was going on and it turned into a whole bunch of failure modes and it's pretty technical. The, um, I had to, the side of my canopy had a hole in it, which made no sense to this day. It doesn't make any sense. Not the front, not the back, but the side. Um, then I had a jam, uh, in a control and I really thought I was going to have to parachute out of the airplane. And so I was going up, um, not vertical, but I was going up pretty steeply to get altitude because altitude is your friend. And, um, then I cleared out one problem and then another problem the whole time the engine looked fine and it's only one jet engine and, uh, there's not a backup. And so I was setting up to land to try and figure out what was wrong with the plane and it, it seemed landable. And then I asked for power and it did nothing. There was oh. no power. Oh. And, uh, I was like, this is really getting to be annoying. <laughs> So I, uh, I was rather annoyed and I declared my third emergency on the radio, trying to get some help from the chase plane that is there to, you know, look over your airplane. And, um, I came down and I was set up to land in the desert and I was down to about 500 feet over the ground. And I, I'm now I'm in survival mode and mitigation mode. So... I didn't want the plane to flip over for all those bad reasons if it does, and I'm not landing on a um, runway or an improved surface. I'm in the desert in the sand. and But there was this dirt path, and I was going to line up on this dirt path, and I thought it was a great idea, and it looked pretty good at 2,000 feet above the ground. So I'm, I'm, I'm latching a backup latch in the canopy so I can get out faster. I start shutting down pumps. Again, I'm reducing my risk. And um, I'm doing things with my hands so that if I, I do have a crash impact, um, my hands aren't going to break my wrists and things like that. So I'm doing all this crash preparation, and I made a final radio call, and I shut down the power to, to avoid sparks and fire and all that. So I'm lined up for this dirt path, and I'm getting down close, and right in front of me in the sage is this three foot cement pillar that was hidden and oh. I couldn't see it. Oh man. I go, well, this is bad. This is the bad category. So I, I ruddered to the left and I, you know, moved the plane over to avoid it. And I touched down in the raw desert and I flew the plane through the desert, basically trying to keep it upright. And, um, what was interesting there was through my helmet and mask and everything else going on, all of the Nevada desert was shoving into my face. It was unbelievable because it was parts and pieces were flying off the plane. So the desert was getting inside and it was a tremendous amount. And, uh, and it finally came, plane came to a stop. There was no flame. I was upright and I was really fortunate. And I popped the canopy open, uh, got off the plane. And then there was all these holes in the desert and these little marks in the desert. And I said, I know what those are. That's rattlesnakes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it was a it was a movie moment. I took my helmet off and my parachute and plane had smoke and jet fuel all over the place and and I walked towards that dirt path and I was very alone. It was a very sombering feeling, but I was walking and I was fine. The plane was totaled. I destroyed the airplane. It was not rebuildable. But it was a it was a very classic case of mitigating the risk and uh and I had a successful outcome ultimately. <laughs> So I love that you're like, you're telling a story that in my mind, I'm like, you know, I would be like screaming in panic, red faced. <laughs> and you're like, this was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Calm under pressure, I think is the, you know, maybe the tagline of this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you, what do you attribute that, 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 that coolness under fire to what, where did you kind of forge the, the, that that mentality of of mitigation yeah and uh in in amid uh stormy skies well i mean i uh i i I learned early on by observation by study reading listening to people have done things successfully before me that you know um getting all excited and drama and all that doesn't help anything I mean, it's just the opposite. Even your body releases chemicals that are unfavorable. And um, it's been with me for the longest time. I just don't get rattled, and I'm pretty calm about things. Unless I have to give a speech, and I'm pretty nervous. <laughs> I get on stage, and you know, everyone's staring at me. I'd rather be in the vampire jet. But the uh, um, it uh, that is more intimidating to me looking at a 5,000 peers in an audience about to give a speech, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, but I've just really have worked for years on that whole concept of remaining very balanced during, um, important events. And it's hard to describe, but you have to ascribe to it. It's not happening. And it didn't happen for me overnight, but um, I definitely was working towards that for years, just that uh, uh, balance, I think, is the best way to put it. That's really interesting. Um, and I, uh, you know, part of me kind of goes back to, you know, some of the, some of my thoughts on, you know, our profession when we're dealing with like upset employees and things like that, you know, matching somebody's emotional outburst has never ended well. <laughs> yeah, no, but Hey, we're all human. I mean, it happens, right, right. you know, and, uh, but it's, it, that's gotta be a tough role because you need to empathically listen to them while representing the company and everything else. I mean, I think that's just a very challenging situation. It's, um, you know, that's an interesting observation. It's one of those things I struggle with a lot early in my career. And I've talked about that on the podcast before where I used to flip a switch where I would like become, I'd be like me. Then I flip a switch and I become like emotionless corporate drone person. Right. And that, but that yeah. was the only way I could get through like, like firing somebody. Right. It's terrible. It's, it was horrible. It's emotional. You know, I, I'm, it generally, I like to think I'm a nice guy. I don't want to fire people. Right. Sure. Absolutely. So, but I, I love the fact that you use the term balance because I would say it's been, a, it's a, you know, very different journey for me, but, but a similar experience where it's like, listen, it's, it's not about being emotionless. Uh, it's, it's, it's about maintaining the appropriate level of balance of, you know, empathy and emotion and, uh, but, but making sure that you, 
don't let you, let the chemicals take take hold of you and you know you right. gotta let your you know your intellectual uh self uh present <laughs> at yeah. times yeah no i i think you're right i think that's spot on fascinating fascinating so we're, we're gonna keep this train going because I, I you got a bunch of stories but i, I have to ask this question because i saw this on the sheet so you've traveled to every country in the world except one yeah so what does that have what does that country have against you Boy, I don't know because we tried to get to it, and um, we had an engine failure in a different airplane uh, trying to get there from South Africa, and that was going to be the big uh, uh, reveal. Uh, I finally got to Madagascar, and I want to see the little creatures and the vanilla. Yeah. And, um, but I still have yet to go to Madagascar. And okay, uh, but I, you know it, that that too just happened organically. I. I I didn't sit there with a list and start checking them off. It just kind of happened. And, um, uh, here we are, you know, (laughs) learning as a citizen of the world, I think is the best way to put it. I love that. I love that. And I think, you know, uh, one of my favorite things about my job is uh, we're, we're in a national organization and I get to deal with, I get to deal with all sorts of different cultures, attitudes, people, you know, uh, time zones sometimes, but it's 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 just fun. It's dynamic, and so right. you know, having been so well traveled and and having interacted with so many different types of people, what has that taught you as a as a leader? Ooh, it's taught me a lot. The leader um, component is different because immediately some of the basic things you learn is how little the world knows about each other, and what we might label um, an area as poor or, or something like that. Um, they don't see it that way in some cases, you know? Um, and there's a lot of rich people out there that we, we would probably label poor. And hmm. when you ch- try to relate to them, I think that's the key to it. it it's a bit of empathy but they're trying to share their culture with you, the outsider that's there, and they're curious, and I'm curious, and there's this big exchange that occurs. They don't want a five dollar tip. Um, they 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 want to share and they want to understand. And I think there's that common thread, especially in the simpler cultures that don't have the complexities that have really dissected their brains to little compartments. You know, they have they have a much simpler approach to life and um and it shows what people need and most people just need you to genuinely listen i mean genuinely listen to them and find that common ground you know in a Venn diagram between the cultures and when you find that common ground as a leader and then the the ability to connect between the people you're leading is far easier because you found this common ground, you know, it could be just two people like football, right? But there's this commonality and what their needs are. And when you're around simpler people, you learn that their needs are very, very similar to very complicated people. (laughs) (laughs) And, and even though the complicated people have a bigger show and a bigger um, presence and bigger issues, it's still kind of, it's simple, really, what the needs are. You just got to get the distractions out of the way and then uh, listen to those people and find the, 
that pathway of communication so that the leadership occurs much more effectively. And, and it's two ways, you know, it's between the people you're leading and the people leading, doing the leading. It's a two way communication. How's that for a simple answer? Not so. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but I think it is, it's so nuanced. Right. And I think, um, but you know, I think you hit on something that, you know, we've talked about, we've talked about on this podcast, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times, which is it's, it's about connection. Yeah. Right. It's, and you know, empathy, but it, but it, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's about the humanity in people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, there's so many cultures out there that their average life expectancy is like 45 years old mm. and they're not all wrapped around the axle about, you know, all the things that, that'll make them live till 75 and, and it's, their perspective is altered accordingly. And, uh, all those little nuances though, they add up to allowing you to try and find what's important for somebody. When you connect on what's important to them, they're, they're, going to listen to their leader even better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Um, you know, it is really interesting to hear that perspective. And I think it's, you know, coming from a, a country like the United States and and looking at those, you know, those differences in culture and, you know, the simpler, maybe more collectivist societies where it's not about wealth, it's about, you know, family and community and, um, and, and, and that sort of thing. It's sometimes it's, you know, there's a certain prisms that prism that we see that in, right. uh, as opposed to taking the time to understand, okay, what, what are, what are the goals? What do they, what do they want? What do they, what do they value? What, have you found a commonality between somebody who maybe has their goals and objectives in a simpler context, also being happier? You know, that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, topic because, um, because of the type of work we do with private aircraft, I am around and, and involved, heavily involved with very, uh, affluent, wealthy mm-hmm. people. Sure. And, and some of my, you know, uh, friends will say, you know, Pete, are, are they happy? You know, they have that doubting question in their mind. And I, and I said, yeah, that no, they're really happy. You know, these are, I have really great customers. These are happy people. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're fulfilled. And, uh, and the topic spreads to, well, is it the money? No, it's not the money. It's, it's, they're comfortable with what they've done. Because there's also people that are wealthy that almost feel a little guilty, I think. I don't have those type of people as customers, and I think it's just coincidence. But I have observed them. And they have this almost a guilt about them. Like, uh, what did I do to get all this? And I think, I think it's back to fundamentals. It's not the money. It's that they weren't comfortable even before the money Mm. and it just continued and they didn't find the spiritual fulfillment that they thought they might have found. I don't know in their cases. So then when you come back to these simple cultures that I've been lucky enough to spend time with, they, um, there are people there that are very happy. Um, they're very simple. They're very happy, but there's also people that aren't happy. And I don't think it is a, a function of the simplicity or the complexity. I, I think there's other things going on in both cases that are very, um, 
polar opposites, right? But I do think there's the same issues going on. I really do. And whatever that is, I mean, you know, I wasn't there for eight weeks diagnosing these people, but you know, <laughs> well, sometimes I was there longer than eight weeks, but anyway. <laughs> no, it's just interesting. And you know, it's, um, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, you've just, you've seen, seen so much, um, you know, I, I, I am curious to understand, and I, I've just got to ask about this, this bullet point. So you've seen a lot, you've, you, you've gone a lot of places, you've had some pretty crazy stories <laughs> that have occurred. So, um, you know, managed to get out of Russia after being refused exit, got detained and bribed by some authorities, prevented some kids from getting kidnapped. So we're, we're running out of time, but I want to, yeah. I want to open up the mic a little bit and say, all right, give me, give me the story that uh that that's gonna make some of these listeners mouths drop <laughs> <laughs> boy okay here's the tearjerker i'll give you the sh- a short one okay okay um we partnered up with this uh with just folks it's just individual folks and um we fixed an orphanage in guatemala at s- several locations and it it stopped the kids from getting kidnapped right out of the orphanage because we gave them security and uh, concrete and really fundamental things that prevented the bad guys from, you know, stealing these kids away. Um, and it's been very successful since the, um, one of the big jaw droppers <laughs> was probably in Pakistan when at four in the morning at a checkpoint, I had to get out of the car, the guns were pointed at me, mm-hmm. um, I do not speak their language. I, I usually learn enough of a language to avoid the guns, you know. <laughs> and um, we're at this checkpoint, and it wasn't going well. The driver that was my driver, um, they started yelling at him. They took him away. They put mm-hmm. me back in the car. They shut the door. He left for about thirty minutes. It seemed like four hours. And I'm in the back of his car. I'm like, this isn't good. <laughs> this is this is another case of bad. <laughs> so I, I motioned to the guy um, that had more stripes on his uniform. And he came over. He was acting all angry at me. And I made some hand, lang- hand sign language, whatever, and got out of the car. And I said, uh, can I take my picture with you? <laughs> so I pull up this little camera I was carrying back then and digital camera, you know, and, uh, I'm trying to take a selfie with this guy with the camera, <laughs> and it wasn't working. Right. You know? And so he weighs over some other guy with a, with less stripes on his arm. He takes the camera, starts taking our picture. I go, Hey, can I hold your gun? And so he gives me his gun and, you know, this is all through sign language and four words of English. Uh, I'm holding his gun, getting the picture. I'm like, hey, how about by the car? And I've tur- I totally turned it into this big, I'm going to make him look good because I want, right. I'm interested in him. <laughs> and it worked. And the driver comes back and everything was like defused with me. But the driver comes back and he's like, oh, they, they, they call me captain over there. And uh, he's like, captain, captain. They, uh, they, they refused my entry. I said, nah, it's all good. We're good. We're, we're fine. We can drive. We can drive on. <laughs> and the, uh, and the, the head guy 
now is smiling and telling the driver that he's in trouble and everything's fine, but you can drive along. And it was all diffused. It was a hilarious scene. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I'm going to put that down on the list. Okay. Next time I'm held at gunpoint, ask for a selfie. Yeah. See if that works. I've used it a few times actually, and it has worked. (laughs) You know, what's so fascinating though, you know, and it, um, I, d- I just love psychology. It's so fascinating, but you, that was a total ego play. Yeah. You're like, like, Oh yeah, I want to make this guy feel good about himself. He's going to yep. have fun, you know? And, and, um, yeah, I mean, talk about you. Did, did he invite you over for dinner? And, you know, yeah, you know we, we didn't break bread together, but, um, <laughs> I, I did hand him now I'm, I'm making a story longer. I handed him a business card. I said, anytime you're in America and you need help, you just call me. Like, <laughs> you know he's like thank you you know and uh, because i was in. genuine about it you know i'm never gonna see him again but i i, I meant what i said you know guy <laughs> gets to america actually tracks me down and says hey i need something i mean okay. i'm gonna help him i'm gonna help yeah. him he yeah. helped you there you go exactly <laughs> see and there, so we're gonna close this podcast on connection <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> what a cool story and you know it's it's just uh it's just been great getting to know you and uh you know you know a great example of of one of the guests that i just thoroughly enjoy this podcast because i get to meet people like yourself and and uh, get connected with with uh with folks with such cool stories and uh, appreciate you sharing your your story with us here today so absolutely. i do want to shift gears i'm fascinated because you are a totally different guest profile we're going to shift into the rebel hr flash round so um okay. curious to hear these all right first question what is your favorite people book okay people book if i understand the question i'm going to say is atlas shrugged mm. i have never read that book oh shame on you <laughs> <laughs> required reading okay got it all right question number two who should we be listening to Um, we should be, we should be challenging. Do you mean, let me back it up for a minute. Sorry. But do you mean on like an informational question? It can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. Who, who should we listen to? We should listen to people who have done it before us and have done it well. Don't listen to people with just opinions. Mm. Those that have done it well. There you go. You know, that is probably a really good caption for a lot of the news stories that you hear. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of opinions out there. Yeah. Doesn't mean you should listen to every single one. <laughs> no. Have they done it and have they done it well? Right, right. Yeah. All right. Coming from a guy who's, who only has um, Madagascar to check off the list. I know. I got to get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last question. Here's a toughie. How can our listeners connect with you? Uh, just email me, Pete, Pete at Pazair.com, and right. I'll, uh, I'll happily engage. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, and um, we will have that information in the show notes. We're also going to have some additional details on uh, the book. It is relevantthebook.com is the website. Um, there's uh, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to plug. I know you're doing a series um, as well, so give us a little bit of detail on some of the some of the work you're doing there. Sure. Um, Relevant is the series title and also the first book. And I'm really proud of how it's done. It's been great. And uh, um, I enjoyed the process. It's just a tremendous creative process. Really enjoyed it. And so 
made uh, um, the new Cold War, which is book two, and and the third book is halfway done as we speak. Awesome, sounds good. So, and a military thriller inspired by true events. So, if you want to break reading the four hundred ninety page OSHA vaccine mandates, pick up a book and and take your brain on a tangent that's actually enjoyable. <laughs> I think you learned something too. That was kind of the goal. Perfect. Well, Pete, thank you again so much for sharing uh, sharing the time with us here today, and uh, look forward to continuing to uh, to follow your journey. Awesome. Thanks, Kyle. I hope we get to chat again. And next time I'm in Iowa, I'll let you know. Let me know. I'll wave at you when you're overhead. Yeah. We've got a lot of flyovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.